Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tom's favorite recipe cookbook. This might be sucking up a little bit, but Dale Talde is Asian American. I got to check it out. Went to Kobaya at his restaurant, Talde, in Miami Beach, and he was there, and it was just awesome. I love the little stories that he includes in his cookbook. So yeah, that one's awesome. For me, Travis Lett's Jelena cookbook. Great bang for your buck in the sense that it's not all that hard, and the stuff looks good, and it tastes good. 
is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, down to seven, best of seven. We've got ourselves a ball game. Really interesting week. I, I thought the challenges were stuff I hadn't seen before. The standings are tightening up between your team and my team. I think there's now a really interesting scrum toward the top. Mm. It, you know, I thought it was going to be dominated by maybe an upper tier and everybody else. It seems like there's a lot more parity than we might have thought. I want to get your thoughts to kick us off. I felt the same way about Gabe and Shoda. At the beginning, we kind of see that they were pegging Sarah as a, as a front runner, as, as someone who was going to win this whole damn thing. And now that she's out and in Last Chance Kitchen... Um, things start to thin out. It, it looks like Gabe and Shoda have separated themselves. Um, but you know, this this episode, I felt like I was I, I knew there's gotta be a twist because I was pretty bored after the I mean, we'll get to the elimination challenge. It's kind of pretty bored with the recipe idea. It didn't really strike me as very top chefy, and and I knew there had to have been a hitch. Forgetting about the elimination challenge for a second, from the top, it was awesome to see Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein from Portland. Even though I don't watch the show, I know Fred from SNL, and it's one of those shows that I got to get into, Kevin. Did you watch Portlandia? I did. I watched, what is it? I'm not a junkie, but I have some favorite sketches. The Did You Read sketch. Hey, did you guys read that thing in the New Yorker last month about how golf is an analogy for marriage? I did. Mm-hmm. I did read that. Do you hear the thing at McSweeney's? Mm. I was comparing CD tracks and album tracks. Did you read that? Yeah. Did you read that thing in Mother Jones about eco-chairs and eco-ways to sit? I did. Yeah. I did. Did you read that thing in Spain about all the festivals? Uh-huh. Did you read that thing in Pace? It was about the National. Oh, I saw that. Did you read that thing in Dwell about all the mid-century houses? Yeah. Did you read the New York Times? Yes. New York Observer? Yes. Washington Post? Yes. Wall Street Journal? Of course I read it. Did you read that steampunk article in Boing Boing? I did not like the end of it. Did you read that skywriting over the Willamette River? Yes. Did you read that fortune cookie? Yes. From last night? Yes. Did you read it? Yes. There were two. Yes. Did you read that thing that guy wrote in the sand on the beach? Yeah. Did you read the Portland Mercury? Yeah. Did you read the Willamette Week? Yeah. Did you read the Seattle Stranger? Beginning to end. Did you read the SF Weekly? I loved it. The Harvard Lampoon? Well written. Did you read Mad Magazine? I did not like the end of it. Did you read Kathy? That was cute. Did you read Family Circus? Sure. Did you read Calvin and Hobbes? Sure. Did you read the Boston Globe? Sure. Did you read the Washington Blade? We read it together. Did you read? Uh huh. Did you read? Mm-hmm. Did you read? Of course I did. did you read? I read it to a friend of mine. Did you read the closing credits of that movie? Yeah, did you read that book? Did you read the Bible? Did you read it? Did you read it? Did you read it? Finger writing on the window? Did you read it? 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 kind of in quick succession. Like, did you read that cover story in the Atlantic about the da-da-da? Did you read the New York Times book review about da-da-da? It, it's just like that's that sort of one-upsmanship that happens when two hyper-literate people <laughs> who want you to know that they're hyper-literate. And so I thought we were going to say to, have you eaten it blank? Have you eaten it blank? Did you eat? Did you eat? Did you eat? I thought we were going to get a little bit of that. That would have been great. Yeah, I, I'm a Portlandia fan. Um, <laughs> like, reality has, has imitated art recently, and this was a fun uh, a celebrity appearance as celebrity appearances go on Top Chef. They did kind of like a vintage retro hipster challenge. I didn't quite understand what that meant in terms of hipster food. Like is mac and cheese a hipster food? Is is like um, like like throwbacks? I guess PB&J, is that a hipster food, Kevin? Yeah, I mean this was one of those, do you know it when you see it? I wasn't sure the per- of the parameters of the challenge. Like it was a little strange. Like th- there were varying interpretations. One interpretation was, oh, I'll cook something vegan. That's kind of Portlandy. Yeah. Uh, one was I'll cook something ironic retro, sort of all American tomato soup and grilled cheese, or in this case, just tomato soup. Uh, that's sort of Portland hipster. And and then there were those who were just like, oh, the challenge is you're giving me these shitty cookware yeah. and these bad ovens. The fact that I can even make this dish in your shitty appliances um, means that I have cleared the bar for the challenge itself. So I, I think that 
there were varying interpretations of what exactly this challenge was, yeah. which, you know, muddied it up, I guess, a little bit. It wasn't, I, I don't think, the most innovative challenge, uh, quick fire challenge they've ever thrown at chefs. Uh, but, it, you know, it produced some interesting food. And and I, if anything, I think it was a decent measure of where these particular chefs are in the competition. And it wasn't lost on me that, you know, sort of the two up front, you know, the two top and the three bottom in some respects, not entirely, were reflective of the show's standings in general. 100%. I thought the same thing. And actually, Dawn, from the beginning, was just saying how this is her playground. It's like the old school vintage appliances. She said she had 20 of the 30 different tools there or the chef... um, you know, chef appliances in there. So she felt like that part of this was in her wheelhouse. And then secondly, she's a big Portlandia fan, Portlandia fan. So there was this whole, Dawn was in her element and it really showed out in her dish where she did the cornbread and pancetta. Um, they said it was so fun, a joy to eat. And the fact that she baked that bread like in the oven in 30 minutes, conceived the dish, uh, you could tell that they were just ecstatic about that dish. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. I have not – Fonio is not something I have seen or even heard about um, since I, I took a trip to West Africa. It's kind of like a – I don't want to say like couscous, but that's the closest thing I can kind of get to. But she made this this cornbread out of semolina and Fonio and then does this pancetta jam, pear butter, goat butter. It just, again, another indication that – Tom, I don't know that there's anybody – you know. Uh, uh, Pursuant to our conversation about has there been parody or is there a clump up top that we got to watch? I don't know anyone's been cooking better food for the last six weeks than Dawn consistently. And this was yet another instance where she just, I mean, was there a close second? Gabe was the only other uh, chef to get kind of uh, notable mention. And Dawn is once again just crushing the competition. She is. And you could kind of tell that they liked Maria's tomato soup with the uh, coconut milk and harissa with um, with cardamom. But like and they also like Gabe's dish, like you said, uh, <laughs> I love the Hasselback cut jokes just incessantly. I love that. My favorite Fred Armisen bit is the guy who says nothing. He does this bit on a weekend update. He's like, you know, it's so funny you say that because it reminds me of the time, you know, just just taking it back a little bit. This is exactly the, the reason it's outrageous is that no one any any mere assumption that we as a mass are going to come together to I, I wouldn't I think once if we were to examine the motorcycle industry in the Midwest, the first thing people would the, the reminder, the one alarm clock when it comes to, say, the, the Inuits, the way they treat the sick and elderly. It kind of reminds me of this thing. And someone who just continues to say things like the preamble before their point and never gets to the point. The bit is unbelievable. It's so good on SNL. So he his humor is perfectly tailored for, for Top Chef. And the whole Hasselback cut joke that he was just hamming up the entire time. I just kept thinking of like Gwen Stefani. <laughs> like we're talking about Hollaback cut. And like, no. I mean, I cook a little bit, but I don't know what a Hasselbeck cut is. I'll just be perfectly honest with you. I'm right, with that right. He's like, oh, yeah, I've been dying to see a Hasselbeck cut. I've known it my whole life and I was just so excited to see it. Um, I didn't even know what that was. And uh, and the braised purple yam lamb sausage, play on lamb sausage. Yeah. And, and and Jamie, clearly with the dumplings, it wasn't working and it didn't really play up the whole motif. Or the, the- I, I would have totally done Maria's. That's what I would have ordered. And it's not even close. Yeah. Yeah, she's coming on strong here, Kevin. Yeah. I mean, come on, tomato soup with harissa, coconut milk. 
a, a cardamom crumble, which is a great idea for a soup. I mean, Maria's cooking well, Tom. Maria's cooking well. And Chris is just – he's cooking with no confidence right now. I mean that that cauliflower with uh, sauerkraut and black garlic, too salty, um, which is if you're going to err on one side of salty or unseasoned, I'd rather go with the salty. But still, it just doesn't seem like he's coming with much, much uh, creativity or much mojo here. Well, to your point, he's been knocked for not enough salt. So now we see a chef that's overcorrecting. Right. And so um, we'll talk more about Chris uh, later, obviously, during the elimination challenge. But yeah, it was um, uh, Dawn takes it. And again, a kind of just another indication that it to me is I, I don't think you can have a conversation about contenders now and not include her. And importantly, Tom, she gets 15 extra minutes of prep. And if ever there was an advanced player in this competition who could use 15 extra minutes, <laughs> it's Dawn. So she gets it for the elimination challenge as her as her reward. I wanted to quickly touch on something Jamie said that she's lactose intolerant and she drinks flaxseed milk. Now, that's a new one. I'm in Charlotte, not in L.A., Kevin. So what are the different types of milks that you, you're aware of? I mean, I'm aware of flaxseed milk. I'm aware of oat milk, as I'm sure you are yep. these days. I mean, there's the you know almond milk very early aughts. Uh, there are a bunch of kind of milks. I drink whole milk. I'm, you know, just a whole milk guy. And I and don't get me 2% either. I'm, I'm kind of militant about it. If I'm going to drink milk, I'm going to drink milk. The same with yogurt. I don't want no 2% yogurt. Kevin, do you want to remind the listeners what your hack is for, for any sort of cereal? Oh my goodness. Breakfast cereal should be eaten with half and half. <laughs> Always and forever. I mean, if you're going to pour yourself a bowl of Cookie Crisp or Fruity Pebbles or Captain Crunch, you should have yeah, just go the, for it. The courtesy to grace it with half and half. You know what's also a hack is the vanilla almond milk and regular Cheerios. Oh, that's interesting. Tastes exactly like Lucky Charms. Well, how do you get the marshmallow thing going? You don't. But if you want the sensate the, the taste of Lucky Charms, but don't want to throw in, you know, just basically candy food, just do the vanilla flavored almond milk and then pour it over a bowl of regular Cheerios. Who eats regular Cheerios? Well, when you throw in the Lucky Charms flavored oat milk or almond milk, which is just vanilla almond milk, it's going to change your life. You clearly have two little kids because I don't know any childless homes that have Cheerios and I don't know any home with ch- children that doesn't have Cheerios. Exactly. Exactly. So my, my two kids love to eat Cheerios. And um, once they grow up and realize Honey Nut Cheerios, there's a phase when you like hit Honey Nut Cheerios and you're just like, wow, this is what life is all about. Honey Nut Cheerios, my mom was not did not allow us to have sugar cereals. Honey Nut Cheerios was the least healthy cereal we were allowed to have. That was the entry, the, the gateway cereal. Occasionally Golden Grams. Like yeah. Golden Grams was a special occasion once in a blue moon. But in terms of everyday cereal, the sugariest cereal we were allowed to have that still passed the Ellen test of this is <laughs> quasi healthy was Honey Nuts Cheerios. Yeah, it's got it's got nut and honey. Come on, it's it's healthy basically, right? Uh, Kevin, have you had a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios recently? Or I like don't is, think in twenty five years. I'm telling you, man, it's it's great. It'll take you back. Like it'll put you in a place in time. I just feel like if I'm going to indulge, I'm going to go all the way. Like I'm going to have myself a bowl of Captain Crunch. Speaking of all the way, Dawn, she gets the 15 minutes here. And I didn't even notice. Maybe they did an edit and we didn't notice. But it didn't seem like she even needed the 15 minutes because um, she's just rolling that much. The, the elimination challenge prompt is 
Dale Talde and Richard Blaze come out and Richard Blaze showing those guns. Um, uh, they say, write a recipe that can be replicated in 90 minutes. And as they're doing this, I kind of feel like there had to have been a twist because it just – it seemed too easy. It seemed too boring and like what? What? You're going to try it on with like a home chef in the in the kitchen? No. There's a little bit of a twist in like 10 minutes in, they start to reveal it. But what did you think about the, the, the challenge itself of doing a recipe? I liked it because I am an aspirational home cook who uses cookbooks and recipes. Rarely does a week go by where I'm not trying to pick up something, be it a full recipe. Sometimes I'll type in a dish I want to do and get bits of different recipes on the internet for the same dish. Um, and so I kind of like this. And, and honestly, one of the things I love about the Jelena cookbook is it's very explanatory. There are times where you print out a recipe or you don't print it out or you have it on your iPad or whatever it is. And it's like, oh man, do you mean I drain it first or do I drain it second? Like, like it is just frustratingly nonspecific uh, in its direction. There is a lack of clarity. And so I kind of dug this because it was like, yeah, you know, like, prepare something cool that I can replicate. That's a lot. That's much of what I do in my kitchen. So like as a home chef, I kind of like this challenge. I realized I didn't have a lot of the bells and whistles of some other challenges, but I liked it for that reason. I really liked the challenge. Like after they brought in the whole Top Chef alums are going to be preparing the dish, it made so much more sense. And, and comparing the two, it was kind of like a choose your own adventure. Like I, I really dug that. The fact that you could compare the two dishes, one recipe, two different dishes, two different chefs. Let's see what happens. I really, I really enjoyed that. And I think it does remind me of like when you ask Steph Curry, like what were you thinking on that final play? Um, he doesn't give you a very interesting answer because a lot of times these savants or these these chefs or these um, um, elite basketball players, they don't really know what's happening or they can't recall why they're doing certain things. And so asking a chef is kind of like asking Stephen Curry to like take me through that play and all the different steps, like each progression of that play. Sometimes you get a really good answer, but oftentimes they'll miss a lot in there that you as a fan are like, yeah, but how did you know to cross the ball behind your back? Well, I just know. So for this, there's a lot of moments where the chefs just kind of knew what to do and forgot to write it down because it was just, you know, they, they take for granted how good they are as chefs. So, um, I thought that was good. And it also showed, you know, Gabe and certain other uh, chefs on this one have experience doing these recipes. And it's almost like a secret power in this competition. And now the cookbooks are becoming such a, a, an essential part of being a celebrity chef or, or a famous chef or a successful chef. It is part of the rep- repertoire of being a top chef now. Yeah. And, and to your early point, you also got to see a little window into the chef's personalities, right? Because, you know, for Gabe, well, he's a more methodical cook. Uh, Shoda is precise in his preparation, but not a guy who thinks in terms of, you know, component parts as four ounces of this, a half a cup of this, yada, yada. You know, Maria is a, you know, has this sort of hominess, right? And it's, it's it, you know, six pounds of meat for, or five pounds of meat for six people. Well, yeah. And which is kind of a little bit how I cook. Like I'm just terrified of running out of protein for myself or anybody else, right? Like I just, I always go for at least 80% more of the crowd I'm getting. And so it was interesting. And, and Byron hilariously apparently did a, a doctoral dissertation on, on, on steam bass. Yeah. 
that was as, as meticulous as it was flavorless. 19 ingredients for the seafood broth or whatever? Man. That wasn't even all that interesting, right? Ah. Oh. That's the sad part. And you also got to see kind of Dawn's brilliance. I mean, I know she didn't finish on top, but I I thought Blaze said it well, right? You get a protein, you get a veg, you get a sauce. And that's kind of what I'm looking for as a home chef. Like I want to impress my guests. I want to, you know, you know, please my partner. It's just I want to give them a full plate of food that looks, if not restaurant quality, at least has the patina of restaurant quality. And that's what I want. It's one of the reasons I love you know, the, I just want to, there's I love the Jelena cookbook, right? Like I'm getting that I'm getting the, you know, the, I'm, I'm getting the, the, the kind of roasted chicken with the smoky kale on one plate. Um, and, and I think that is exactly what Dawn did. And yeah. in some ways she was, I, I think probably finished second in this competition though. They didn't obviously rank them. Um, just because again, she kind of got it. Tell me about gnocchi pre- preparing gnocchi. Is this something that I, I just from the start I was like, really? Do we want to have the Chris conversation? Should we just have the Chris conversation? Let's just let's do the Chris conversation. So I had real Adrian esque aspirations for Chris. Everybody might remember Adrian from was it Top Chef fifteen? Tom, it was the first season we did this. It was Colorado, yeah, with uh, Joe Flam. Exactly. So she was a chef who was struggling, finding herself on the bottom, often for under-seasoning her food, clearly had some real technical skills, um, but wasn't cooking with confidence. That seasoning issue was persisting. And over time, it was, and I love chefs like this on this show, where she realized this is correctable. I'm going to take feedback. I'm going to learn from my mistakes. I'm going to be a better chef each successive week. And all of a sudden, boom, you're in the finale. And there she is, right? Like, and I had that aspiration for Chris because he has shown some real technical flair. Um, even this week, wow, they really loved his romesca. They really loved his dandelion greens. Like this guy can cook. He can conceive of a plate. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Um, he insists that he is a guy who cooks pasta yet has never cooked pasta well. <laughs> no. Somehow. 
Yeah. And not only on a challenge, like I would prescribe to Chris, hey, you might not want to do pasta again because yeah. in the weeks where you're not doing pasta, you're finishing, you know, as a relatively, you know, kind of middle of the road to you even want a couple, right? Like, uh, and when you like, like Tom, what is the correlation between Chris's success and the making of pasta? Like, um, so I, yet here he is. And not only is he making pasta, which in and of itself in any challenge would be, I think ill advised this point, he's doing it in a challenge where you have to tell a lay person how to do it. Yeah. Like he's trying to teach someone something he doesn't know how to do himself. This is not the week to do. I would argue any week is not the week for Chris to make pasta. And what like, happens, Kevin? Damn. Tom. Melissa like, put like a doughy, like it was a disaster. It like she was spackling a house. <laughs> I mean, it just. It was tough to watch. And it was even more awkward. Like when Melissa came out and was like talking to the chefs and was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, just I, I didn't, I didn't, I ran out of time and it was, it didn't, the directions were no good. And then they had to walk back together. I don't know what you're supposed to say to your partner there where it's like, thanks for taking it easy on me. Um, I know I did terrible, but it was just this awkward, silent walk back with, with, uh, Melissa and Chris. Cause he, he knew, he knew. And like the sorghum gnocchi, it just didn't seem like, you know, when Tom came by and asked about it, it seemed like it was a disaster and it just, and then he said, I did it in cups and not weights. I mean, it just was, it was a mess. And I have another theory, Kevin. My theory here is I was flipping through Instagram the other day and I noticed that Chris, Chef Chris, had posted on his Instagram a takeout piece from the Boston Globe, a profile in the Boston Globe about him. And I thought, man, I think there's something to this. That if you're doing a, a profile on a top chef, a hometown guy, a profile on a chef. Do you think that these publications are are aware of when this person gets sent home? Because when I saw this profile, I saw I'm going to kind of write this down and stick it in the back pocket here because I have a theory that hometown profiles are a tip to who goes home. Mm, see, I don't know. I think you're ascribing far too much intentionality to daily journalism. Mm. My experience in this house where we have two daily is that there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, but they also can't wait until three weeks after they get eliminated and then everyone's like, yeah, but the, the guy's gone now. Oh, you got to push it out is what you're saying. Yeah, you got to get uh, it out. Oh, yeah. Okay. You got to push it out before. Yeah, right. Now is, now is your time. Oh, so, okay. Then you got to, you know, you got to use it or lose it. Okay. Right, right. That's my point is they got to time it. So like, hey, uh, Chris, you don't have to tell us when you're getting eliminated, but just to give us an idea, you're going to be on the show from when to when. To your point, Tom, there is a – I wrote a very – a feature of Doc Rivers that I'm pretty proud of that was published during last year's conference finals. You recall the Clippers weren't in the conference finals. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, the piece was never published. It is sitting on my computer and it has never seen the light of day. Hey. Because we didn't get it out in time, right? You have to get a story about a ball player or a coach out before the team is eliminated. And it's my fault because I wanted to push my luck. You're willing to consider this theory. Oh, yeah. Now I, I, I misunderstood. Your point was exactly is that, hey, you got use it or lose it. Yeah. And because they're disorderly, they probably have been putting it off, putting it off. And someone said to them, this guy has a life expectancy of 36 hours. You better run it. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Chris, I think he lost his confidence somewhere in there. I think he, he had a cu couple of times where he, uh, especially the Haitian food that he put out early, um, I think he got just kind of rattled a little bit. And on this one, when, when, uh, Chef Melissa King just says, I can't serve this. 
it's just yeah, it was it was it was tough to watch. But Chris, bon voyage, good luck in Last Chance Kitchen. Um, will I mean the sensuous tones of his voice as uh, I th- was it Malarkey or was it Blaze who said I think it was Blaze who says he's he's got a, a future in this thing. And also, clearly one of the nicest guys who's ever come through Top Chef just by the the reactions of his co contestants. But yeah, there is a parallel universe where he does not cook pasta on this show like everybody else and his he's he's doing fine yeah he apparently nailed his other components so so that was that uh you want to talk about byron while we're on the bottom yeah the striped bass dish with the never-ending recipe it looked beautiful and replicated very very well mm-hmm. but just didn't taste like anything i thought tom and, and blake kind of made this important point which is and i have had this happen a couple times with recipes where it's like it's really ambitious and you're going to kind of stretch yourself as a home cook. There's a lot to do. My it, Also, I kind of look at how much mess am I going to make? Am I going through like three mixing bowls and two <laughs> pots and, and a baking sheet? Like, like how much elbow grease is going to be required for me to make this dish right at home? Now, if it's going to be awesome, I'll do it. And then there are dishes where you say, hey, I don't need a lot of fuss tonight. Just And I'll, and I'll settle for something that's not going to knock anybody's socks off, but it's, it's a quality dish. He did just the worst combination, which is as a home cook, looking at that cookbook, you're like, holy, oh, another step? Wait, I've got to do what? I've got to take a Q-tip and put it up the rectum of a chicken. And then like, like it's just really, you know, like it's just so extensive. And then you get it on the plate and it's like. <laughs> Wait, I have to hear more about this. You, you've, you've had that on a, on a bullet point? On no, a recipe? but like they're just, but they're just like, but there's some crazy stuff you have to do. Like, like go get coals and put them in this papyrus. It's like, no, I don't have that. And if you're going to make me do this, you know, I don't have cactus in the house, man. In addition to the fact that it was tasteless, what seemed to aggravate them so much is what aggravates me. Wait, I did all that for this? For this? And contrast that with Maria, who is just like, just throw it all in a pot. Throw it in a bowl. Throw it in a bowl and voila. And her only mistake was that just volume. And guess what, Kevin? I want to eat at, at Maria's table every single night. Oh, yeah. I want I want five pounds of meat. You know, they said, oh, five pounds of meat for six people. I'm like. Yeah, I eat 16 ounces of meat. I mean, that's 14 ounces, right, Tom? The number changed. I think it was eight pounds for six people, and then oh, it, it right, kind of you know wa- wobbled every – But you know what? I'd rather too much than too little. I will eat 21 ounces of meat any day of the week when I'm eating meat. And Kristen's just amazing. She was so funny. Um, I Kev- Kevin, I got to say, having these Top Chef alums replicate these dishes and just go back into the kitchen without any sort of like stress or, or uh, pressure – was awesome. I love watching them interact and Gregory and Kwame and, and Melissa and Kristen. I, I, I got to believe that Dale and, um, and Amar and Carrie are watching this episode and kind of are a little jealous. Yeah, I know. It, it looked like a fun time. The other bottom was Jamie who did her sweet on sweet on sweet on soggy. By the way, I do love foie gras with kind of compotes and like, like a brioche foie gras sandwich. Um, it is sort of it can be really nice. So I, I suspect that was a fun, guilty pleasure that didn't pass the technical smell test for those particular judges, but that you and I might secretly kind of get in there and be like, you know what, I can't defend this technically. I can't defend it conceptually, but I'll freaking eat it. Put it on the black sheep menu, Jamie. Do it. Yeah, we'll, Do we'll it. go. We'll I'll eat it. 
Like when she was in the bottom three, Kevin, I circled her name and said, she's fine. She's not going home for that dish. The other two were sent home worthy. They were eliminated, uh, were elimination worthy dishes. There was no payoff for Byron. Chris goes home. That was no surprise. No. And we knew it the minute he said he was making milky. Uh, I I can't recall a week when I knew who was going home before the first shopping cart hit the Whole Foods, you know, like, yeah. like it's just like I knew it was going to happen. That was that was as predictable as anything else. And then he's got to write a recipe on. It's oy, like, hey, Dwight Howard's going to write a recipe on how to run point guard. It's like, no, like that's not that's not his strength. And why does he have to do the, the handbook on something he's not very good at, apparently? And, and this is one of the other things. And I, I guess I admire sort of the I want to prove to myself and prove to the judges narratively as writers. We can totally get it. Yeah. Shoda comes in with his with his pork belly with the turnip puree and the sliced pear. Uh, looked amazing. I mean, that looked like a classic Shoda dish. And it would have been, I think, the winning dish had not been for Gabe's super sauciness. And uh, you know, there was. I guess the um, the third element on the dish didn't really make it on Kwame's plate because either it ran out of. Oh no, it was a matter of it, the it was too watery and it it didn't wouldn't condense. It just was. It, it didn't work for Kwame on the recipe, but obviously Shoda knows how to prepare that dish, and it and it looked awesome. It was funny. The redic- the reduction is an interesting issue. I, I don't know how much of that is Japanese cooking doesn't do a lot of reduction, and I wonder to what extent that might have been it. Um, but uh, yeah, it looked great. It looked clean, and honestly, I got I'm impressed because I have this thing. I have this. Uh, I have this belief that nobody really likes turnips i've tried to make them interesting a, a good a, a chef ari tamor a friend of mine who had um a wonderful restaurant here alma in los angeles kind of gave me sort of a, a kind of a, a, an easy tuesday night turnip recipe i tried to make it work it just won't happen like turnips when's the last time you were happy to see a turnip on the plate usually my experience is you think it's going to be a yummy potato and it's a turnip yeah yeah so much love to him for making a turnip good I think if you rearrange the letters, it, it says putrid somewhere in there, maybe. Oh, my God. Is it? The T and the D. No, there's no N. Eh. Shota, he's a more improvisational chef than you would imagine. And maybe that's just sort of my preconceptions or stereotypes of Japanese cooking that there's so much kind of precision. But like Shota's often on the fly, which I think is really interesting and kind of fun. Yeah, he's had, he's had a couple misses this season, but he's, he's right near the top on this one as well. Gabe comes in with the black cod. They loved it. Um I mean, if you put these two dishes side by side, you wouldn't have known which one was the 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 recipe creator and which one was the the follower, right? Um, it was called Dynamic, and it, Padma says she wants a whole cookbook just of his sauces, right? And Gabe Gabe takes this one home. Um, I thought Dawn could have taken it home with with her salmon and and buttermilk. It was a little too um, sweet for some. But Gabe Gabe takes this one. Um, he also finished in the top three in the quick fire. So he's very good coming on strong for me. I'm feeling a little bit more validated with with Gabe. He's coming on strong, but he doesn't actually have um, the second most points here. The second most points in the overall competition goes to Dawn. So it just goes to show that Dawn is very much a player in this. Uh, Gabe right there with her, and I think Shota is really just he's he's head and shoulders right now. This is going to sound catty, and it's not meant to be. Like it was kind of nice to see Gabe do a sauce that wasn't a mole. Like Veracruz sauce is wonderful, right? Like you've got those, like those green olives, and it's capery, and it's 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 like a different 
kind of feel, yeah, but it's perfect for that dish, right? Like it's just, it's, it's a perfect compliment to a cod. He could have totally gotten away with another mole. Uh, he went salsa Veracruz. It's, it was, that was lovely. You know, it's funny. I, I, I clearly think I love Don's cooking again. We've never tasted any of these people's foods. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, the buttermilk, you know, the Chinese broccoli, the olive puree, the salmon, all the component parts, great. It looked great. I'm not a big buttermilk sauce on, I like, I like a little more brightness kind of on on a salmon it just like not would have been my choice and this isn't a critique clearly it was just a great dish it was a great looking dish it was easy to prepare it was perfect for a cookbook um but like in the battle of the sauces i think you know that veracruz on on gabe's black cod just seemed like oh that's a dish i'd love to eat yeah and when you talk about top chef you think of the the classic uh, challenges here. I actually was surprised that I don't know. I can't recall if they've done the recipe copy challenge, but I really like this in retrospect. I wish it started a little bit sooner. Um, but again, I, I really like this episode. It came on strong. And I, I, again, the Top Chef alum incorporation this season is such a delight. It's just awesome. So, so much fun. Um, not just seeing familiar faces, but just watching them interacting. And you get enough of the chef, Top Chef All Stars element to it um, without you know, cheapening the product. It just feels like all the other chefs are excited to see them. And when the reveal happened that they were going to be, comp- they were going to be replicating the dishes, you could just sense how excited they were and how like, Oh, this is going to be great. Um, and then just kind of the pride of writing out this recipe just off the top of your head. And then having these, you know, Gregory Gorday, who they did this at his restaurant, uh, his former restaurant, the nines, the departure restaurant, where the, he told us the Blazers were eating at after every home game. They did this this challenge there, and then Padmas noticed how beautiful it was, the view from up there. And, you know, just to have, you know, Gregory preparing this dish in his old kitchen and doing it in a way that, like, man, you just produced my recipe and it looks exactly like I, how I prepared it is, I think, probably – as as much of a compliment as you can as you can give to a chef. They've done such a good job. I, I just I second everything you just said is is sort of they've been able to create this family over twenty years, this extended family. And they've just done a beautiful job of keeping it's fun. We know these people. Right. And it's fun to see people you know and like. Yep. From the past. And it, it's just been another you know, I mean, the show never gets tedious, but the I the fact that we get to visit a little more with people we like. Um, and in this case, actually watch them do what we like to watch them do, which is cook. So um, we're, we're down to six time. We, we should spend some time on Last Chance Kitchen this week because we are now at the point in the competition where, A, like we ain't that far away. Like the, this is a legitimate, you know, someone can string together two or three wins. They're back in the competition. This is not just uh, we're not this is not not this is not a distant event anymore. It is right there in the next room. And somebody in the next few weeks is going to be invited back. And we had a great matchup. Uh, oh, Sarah, man. a surprise eliminatee from last week against Sasha, who has just been just just balling in the kitchen, last chance kitchen. And they've got a really interesting last chance kitchen, which is a pro- three course progressive meal, except Tom, it all has to be in a spoon. It's just three bites. Every course has to fit in one of those little amuse-bouche spoons. I got to say, Kevin, it's amazing that Sarah pulled this one out because you put Sarah and Sasha in a, in a 
two panel just to sh- look at Sasha's face and look at Sarah's face. Sarah looked like she took a shower, right? She was rosy cheeks, sweaty, just like their shirt disheveled. And then there's Sasha who like just waltzed through this thing, conceived these dishes, cooked it. She looked perfect. And then there's Sarah who looks like she just ran a marathon and completing this dish just like didn't know what she was doing. And Kevin, this is pure Sarah here. She acts like she doesn't know what she's doing. I don't know. I'm running around. Oh, I just – what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And she pulls out three really good dishes that Tom loved. I have a little funny little hack that I noticed. I knew Sarah was going to win when they reversed the order and went uh, and announced the winner of the third course. So you think Tom knew who was going to win and he wanted to create some drama? Well, no. Here's what happened. If you haven't done Last Chance Kitchen, uh, dear listeners, they did like, they went course by course, right? So who won course one, who won course two, who won course three? Tom made the decision to go, hey, let's work backwards. Well, the reason you work backwards is that the person who wins one and two are the same people. So you go backwards, so you get each of the contestants winning mm. one of the first two courses, and then I knew the third course is going to be Sarah because she won two. Because had you flipped it, she would have won one and two, and then there's no drama for three. That's smart. You must have worked in television before. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So you know, as to your point, Sasha had a motif, right? It's like she's going to do roasted, right? So roasted Tart, tomatoes. Give it, yeah, give it to yeah. me. I love that 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 concept. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then you know, scallop with the pesto, um, and then. Uh, the, the flank steak with charred onion puree, right? Like that is her thing. Um, Sarah kind of just went, hey, I'm going to give you three lovely bites. Um, she went the roasted red pepper soup to start with this kind of fish sauce, a scallop with celery root and caviar, which is apparently the way to Tom Colicchio's heart is with caviar. And yeah. also just a lovely, delicate little, like I don't, sometimes scallops that they have like that rich brown butter. I'm not into it. Like I kind of like a lighter thing on my scallop. And I, and I thought that was really nice. And then she did a Wagyu uh, that was undercooked a little bit uh, with butter braised cabbage and mushrooms, which actually sounded beautiful. Yes. Um, they both had great – looked like they had three great amuse-bouche meals. Yeah, and I I would be really upset for either of these chefs to go home. I, I love Sasha. I thought she was just amazing on this show. Uh, I, I would like to see her back. She's someone like in a Jen Carroll that I think she should just be a lifer on Top Chef because she's she's really fun on camera and she is really talented on this on this show. Um, so yeah, and there's good energy. I like she's like it's fun to hear her have fun conceiving and executing ideas. Like it's never a chore for her. I I, I just like, I, I enjoy her sort of persona. Um, on this program and um yeah I, i'd like to see her come back at yeah. some point. i'm with you there she's a keeper so all right so tom we're down to six gabe shota maria jamie byron dawn in our losers bracket chris is going to face off against sarah figure when do they usually bring someone back at five somewhere in there yeah if you had to ask me who's going home next week or you know to, to rank it i I mean, Jamie seems still a little vulnerable. I think I think Byron too. Yeah. Byron has sort of been off his game a little bit, and um, Dawn's unbeat. But Dawn has I don't has Dawn fin- Dawn has not finished on the bottom. I think once she did last week. I guess technically she was in the bottom, but we technically, but she was lauded for her plates. Right. So I mean, in the spirit of of Top Chef, she has not been in the bottom. And and look, you can put Dawn, Shota, Gabe. I think in a tier Maria, middle Maria. I don't think she's quite there, 
Um, but I don't think she's in the Byron and Jamie tier. She's in her own tier, right? Like she's she's not in the bottom. Like she, she's in the middle. No she's figure. in the middle. And and look, if the next two chefs that are eliminated are Jamie and Byron, and I'm not um, I'm not rooting for them to go home, but I wouldn't be surprised. And secondly, I think Sarah's going to come back. I you know the fact that she just pulled this one this rabbit out of a hat again, which is so you know she looked like Pat, Patrick Ewing at the at at the in the fourth quarter, just looking so just so tired and like oh this took all the energy out of me. And she puts out a winning dish. Like I just think. It's gonna. She's gonna continue to roll and get back into the competition, and no one's gonna want to see her face walking through that door because she is. She is so good. Yeah, I, I think. I think she's making a comeback. Closing thoughts, Tom. We're approaching the finale or the final four. Sarah, I think she's gonna get back into the competition here, and I'm excited to see what happens next week. We have a really interesting next episode. We'll see if if we see Maria crying. I, I have this on every episode as Maria crying every single time, every episode. I just love her so much. I just want to give her a big hug after every episode. And she did cry when Chris got sent home. I believe that was her. I saw some tears there. Yep. So that's my closing thought. This is gonna be a really, really fun final. And we have Edward Lee next episode, Kevin, from Louisville. Oh, nice. I've eaten at his restaurants in, in, in Kentucky, and he's back. So we're starting to see Nina Compton is also on the cast list for this, this season, but we haven't seen her yet. Um, I was from- supposed to eat at her place in New Orleans, and then COVID came. I was, gonna, I was going down to, on a work trip to New Orleans, and that reservation was canceled. Ah. Uh. Compare Lapine. Shout out to Larry Miller, big Heat fan. Knew him in Miami when uh, when she was working at uh, Scarpetta. Looking forward to seeing Nina and looking forward to seeing Edward on this next episode. For Tom Haverstrow, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Knives.